0: Okay y'all, it's episode one of the new season. We are four weeks into the NFL, NBA season just ended, football's coming back, and we've got F1 going on soon. I'm going to drop an episode right after tonight, when I watch the Arsenal game. It's going to be a special edition, just talking about Arsenal and Man City. After the game tonight, I'm going to give you my thoughts on both teams and the game. Anyway, here we go into the first segment. So earlier today, I was scrolling Instagram like I normally do, Um, and then I saw a post talking about all the NFL teams, every team's chance to make the playoffs. It's week five. We've had five weeks to look at these teams, and I thought this prediction was quite off, so I decided to talk about it. Um, Oh, and I'm going to attach the picture on my Instagram for the podcast. Go follow. Firstly, there are... From both conferences, the top teams, we've got Kansas City, 99%. I'm sure no one's going to doubt that. And the Green Bay Packers at 95%. I mean, firstly, Kansas City, yeah, we all know Kansas City is going to make it through to the playoffs, even though they're 4-1 and right now. I know some people are saying before the season started, they're going to go the whole season without losing a game. That's totally off. That's what I thought the whole season I never lost a game. Well, 99%, I think it's fair. I mean, look at the talent you have on that team, just purely offensively. Now, Le'Veon Bell signed. At quarterback, you've got Mahomes, a generational talent. At running back, you've got Le'Veon Bell. I would say at least an all-pro, if not a pro bowler. Tariq Hill, Travis Kelsey, you've got all these good players just on the offensive side of the ball. And it's not like they're bad on the defense either. So it's 99% of gives our pass. Now we're going to the Green Bay Packers, 95%. That's the second highest percentage on the table. Green Bay Packers 4 0 as we're recording this episode. Still unbeaten. And I have been watching the Packers game. And comparing to last year, they have won much more convincingly. That's a fact. Before the season started, everyone's saying, oh, they drafted Jordan Love in the first round. They lack a proper receiver off Devontae Adams. It's not like they need one. Look at the receiving quarters here. You've got Robert Tonyan, who's a very good tight end. I would say a top 10 tight end in this league, as if we're speaking today. On the defensive side, we know what they can do. Adrian Amos, the Smith brothers, they're just really good. They have a really underrated defense. And plus, even on the offensive side, except that underrated receiving court and Devontae Adams, you have got a great running back in Jones. That is all you need. And Aaron Rodgers is just Aaron Rodgers. So, yeah, 95%, that's a pass. Next on 92%, we've got the Seattle Seahawks. Or should I say just Russell Wilson and his friends. Uh, as we we're speaking, 5-0, and another unbeaten team, which is fair enough. Be- they've been very good, I have to admit, even though I'm not a big fan of the Seahawks. Russell Wilson's been doing his thing, scoring a touchdown drive on the fourth uh, quarter just to carry them to another win. DK Metcalf, I mean, all the teams that pass on him right now, like, that is possibly the biggest draft mistake I have seen in a very long time. And they've been consistently good throughout the regular season for at least two or three years now. So I'm not gonna go against that and say the Seahawks will make it. 92% is fair for me, if not higher. So I give that a pass. Next, Baltimore Ravens at 88%. I mean, I found this one very surprising, even though even though Lamar Jackson has had his fair share of injury doubts. They're 4-1 right now, second in the AFC North, right behind Pittsburgh, and on top of Cleveland, according to the NFL official website. But Cleveland's also on 4-1. We'll talk about Cleveland later. Because these two teams are the big teams, I think, to talk about right now. They're, They're the big talking points. So Baltimore, Lamar Jackson, Mark Ingram, still doing their thing. They have, I would say, they have slightly regressed. Again, they're still very good to make it out of the division. As if, even if they don't make it through to, as the top of their division, we know the bottom line, the lowest, they would still go through on a wild card. No debate. No debate. It's not even close. They are the locks to make it through. 88%, I would say, is very low. I wouldn't say they are the best performing team. I wouldn't say they do the best in the playoffs. I will just tell you they are consistent enough to go through a regular season and make it four and one. I mean, still a very good record. Same as the Kansas um, City Chiefs. I would say this one's under. They have gone under what Baltimore's supposed to be. I will put Baltimore as a ninety percent team, but again, it's just my opinion. Um. Next we have the Buffalo Bills, eighty-six percent. I mean, Buffalo is just Buffalo right now in their division. The AFC East, it's not the strongest division right now. Allow me to say it. Um, well, right behind them, it's New England at 2-2. Two and two, And the Dolphins at 2-3 and three as we speak. Buffalo is 4-1. They've got two games in hand. Um, I would say they are going to make it through as the top seed in the AFC team. I would say it, because New England right now, Cam Newton's doing well, I'm not saying he's doing horribly, um, Edelman, Edelman's just Edelman, he's consistent, and Dolphins, you are starting Fitzpatrick and stuff too are still, so I would say Buffalo is going to make it three. that's fair enough, 86% is about where I would put them, we won't know if they're legit or not until we get to the playoffs. I mean, the main talking point around Buffalo is that Derek Henry fend on Paul Norman. This looks like he's still living in his shell from the Panthers a few years ago. So moving on, we've got now this is the big one I disagree with: the Chicago Bears on seventy-four percent. Um, they have just trans transitioned away from Mitch Trubisky into Nick Foles. That's very true. They've still got Khalil Mack on the defensive side of the ball. That's always a good thing. Like Khalil Mack's not running at your quarterback. That's always a good thing. My question would be if four and one Chicago Bears team, it's not like they're going to beat Green Bay to the top of NFC North. They're very dependent on how the rest of the NFC looks right now. The other four and one team that's on par of them right now is the new Los Angeles Rams. Sorry. And them compared to the Rams, they just don't look as good as the Rams. Like, honestly, Nick Foles and Rich Tributsky isn't any better than Jared Goff, even though those three aren't a top tier quarterback. But I would say 74% a bit high. But again, I might be wrong. We don't know how the rest of the NFC East will look like. I mean, and the rest of the NFC conferences, really. The East is just the least competitive conference there is. Yeah, and then we're going to talk about a few teams I am interested in talking about, because I think the ratings are a bit iffy on those teams. Because we've just talked about the top five there. Um, Cleveland Browns, that's one I want to talk about really badly, 63%. Have you seen how that teams look out of the gates? They're at 4-1 right now. I know the AFC is very competitive, but I think the Browns are legit this year. I'm not saying they're legit in the playoffs. They'll be legit in the regular season. They've had a 4-1 record. They haven't had one in God knows how many years and have made it through. This year, that run game, it's incredible. They've got Kareem Hunt. They've got Nick Chubb. Even Odell Beckham's running the ball at some point. He even scored that mad touchdown against the Cowboys. It's a lot like many teams can stop that run game. Baker... Bacon Mayfield's been more consistent than he's been in the last few years. Well, last last year, mainly. He had a great rookie season. It's not like he's anywhere close to replicating that, like last year. But this year, I would say when it goes to the red zone, that run game's hard to stop. And if Bacon Mayfield can make the right reads, this could be a very, very good team. I mean, a very good team. And finally, we're going to talk about one more team, and it's the Arizona Cardinals. 24%. I mean, that's just not fair. When you've got Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, Fitzpatrick, on your team, you cannot say 24%. Kyler Murray is a special quarterback. DeAndre Hopkins, some of the grabs he's been making this year, it's incredible. It's not like they haven't got any other options except from Fitz and Hopkins. They've got Dan Arnold, who's been playing quite well. Andy Isabella, that's also a reliable catch option. They've got Kenyon Drake at running back. The weapons on that offensive side, it's very good. It's not like they're horrible on the defensive side. I would say they are a on par team. Chandler Jones is a consistent rusher, but a Baker, very good, strong safety. Actually, I don't know if Buddha Baker is playing cornerback or strong safety right now. I would just say he's very good in the backfield. And 24% is just not fair on a team who's been playing quite well. And another one I found really interesting is San Francisco on 47%. I mean, CJ Befford's just not going to lead that team through. Depends if Garoppolo um, becomes better or not. Right, so this is our first NFL segment over. And I'm gonna catch you after the break. Can tip it. Bryant with the save. Now get a shot here. Final seconds. Bryant for the win. Bang! Okay, so in the past few days on various social media platforms, and there are many videos about this. Many people are calling the next coming NBA season the greatest ever season. Now, for me, it has the potential to be great. It has the potential to be what everyone's saying it is. Just maybe it might not happen. I love the hype around this season. It was a bubble season last year. We had the bubble. We had the coronavirus. We've had all sorts of surprises this season, from what people are saying, Kawhi and poor George will lead the Clippers to a championship, to them crashing out of the second round in seven games. Everyone was doubting how much LeBron would deteriorate. LeBron proved everyone wrong, yet again, just like how LeBron does. Well, to me, I'm going to give you a quick recap of the season, a quick one on four or five big talking points from the last season, I'll tell you how it will become next season, how all the teams will change in the next coming weeks of the podcast before we have the new NBA season. Firstly, I just want to talk about a few teams that disappointed, essentially. Well, there's an obvious choice here, the Los Angeles Clippers. Everyone was expecting the LA Derby at the conference finals but guess what the la clippers choked in seven to denver i wouldn't even call that a competitive series that was the clippers which unfortunately lost out they just choked Kawhi and paul george in game seven was not a pretty sight denver had a seven game series again before the Clippers. The Clippers have no excuse. They just weren't good enough. They had everything in their favor. They even let Kawhi and Paul George sit so many more games comparing to other superstars. That come playoff time, Kawhi and Paul George should not be this tired. Clippers Plus should not be requesting to sub out. The amount of load management they've had that caused all the hate all the other teams just came back to bit them, essentially. Why I say this? Kawhi and Paul George, they sat so many games in the season. The amount of games they played together are way less than other big deals, you see. LeBron and AD, they played so many games together. nikola Yokoji, Jamal Murray. Again, they played most of the games together. Giannis and Middleton, well. If you call Middleton the big second star, which I think he is a second star, I just wouldn't say he is the best second star out there, they played most of the games together. The games they didn't play together wasn't due to load management, the games that the above players where they didn't play together were either caused by an injury on one of them, or one of them were benched a bit more, they still played, they still featured together. What I see in the LA Clippers is they decide to let Kawhi off. They des- decide to let Kawhi sit. It was load management. Same with Paul George. Well, even though Kawhi was recovering from a mysterious injury which cost him out of San Antonio, it was his own choice to sit. I would say the, um, cl- uh, the Clippers' lack of chemistry and just lack of playing together is what caused them to completely flop in the playoffs, yes, you got by the mass. Well, Kristaps Porzingis was out on the first match. You lost to Luka Doncic game winner. That is all the warning signs you need. Well, the Clippers didn't adjust much. It was just give the ball to Kawhi, give the ball to poor George, iso ball. It was a horrible, horrible, just thing to watch at that game seven. It was just chucking the ball, Kawhi, chucking the ball, poor George. They didn't have another option. Last year, when they took the Golden State Warriors to, I think it was five or six games, it was beautiful team basketball, especially when Lou Williams and Wondrous Howe came off the bench. They're doing pick and rolls, they're doing all this screen stuff. They even came back from a 20-something point deficit, I remember, in a game at Oracle to the Warriors. And what happened now? I mean, Harold has been the sixth man of the year. He came off the bench, he did well in the regular season. But is he ready to take that step as a top-level six man in the playoffs? That is the question to how great the Clippers will be. That's what I said before the season. Well, everyone was saying, oh, I'm just talking trash about the Clippers. Lou will um, go into shooting guard and everything will be okay. Well, it didn't turn out that way, did it? I mean, I'm not gloating. it's just, I'm just saying, it's been expected by some people that the Clippers won't do that well. Um, My second biggest disappointment team were the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks had the MVP, Giannis. They tied down all the big role pieces to massive contracts, Middleton, Brooke, um, yeah, essentially, and Bledsoe. That's the three bigs. They, they they, tied onto big contracts. If I was saying before this season, if they don't make a championship run, then it's over. Well, it wasn't much of a championship run. You got eliminated by the Heat, of everyone. The Heat, ladies and gentlemen, with Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson without even a top draft pick. It was just Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo just taking this team through. They lost to the Heat. It's if I'm Giannis, I would be gone. Well, many people said Giannis are gone, but then really, is he not? or do you think the Bucks are gonna trade the future of their franchise? Well, it is the present and the future of their franchise right now because they made a second round run. I think they will not trade Giannis, but if the Bucs next year cannot get to at least the finals, then it's over. I mean, Mike Budenholzer, he's had his fair share of blame. Honestly, he's not. He is a great regular season coach that could take you to, like, 60, 65 wins. When it comes to the playoffs, he is not the man you want on your coaching scene. He honestly isn't. Well, what I would say the Bucs need to do this offseason is quite simple. Two things. Fire Mike Budenholzer. Get uh Mike D'Antoni. Get a... Uh, um, Dark River not a Brett Brown, though. Get someone who knows at least how to coordinate a few big stars and go from there. And secondly, trade for Chris Paul. It's that simple. You look at Eric Bledsoe in the playoffs. It's just a disappointment. It's like he's running into a brick wall of just big man under the rim over and over again. It's brainless. It's useless. It's just watching someone fail miserably over and over again. I don't think Eric Bledsoe is the point guard to take them forward, but his contract makes him hard to trade. Brook Lopez, he's done well, definitely throughout the regular season. He's shot his threes. He's protected the rim. He's been everything Milwaukee wanted of him. I would just say Brook Lopez is not worth that amount of money. He is good. He's just not worth that amount of money. Chris Middleton, second star, not much I can talk about. He was out for the majority of the season. He also had a, a long period of time where he did not even touch a basketball. That's not okay. That is another reason why I think Giannis will be gone. Just uh, the attitude of Chris Middleton. Yes, he does ISO a lot. He does make clutch shots, as we've seen from that series two years ago, where he shot that um, game drawing shot against the Celtics, I think, which was in a game. One was that you already dragged the Celtics to seven. He, he's had his great moments. Again, Chris Modleton, Brooke Lopez, Eric Bledsoe, that's the three big contracts I've tied down to. Maybe ship a few picks and go for Chris Paul and go all-in for next season. But I wouldn't say that's the best thing. Another disappointing team, Houston Rockets. They made a I wouldn't call it a blockbuster, but a very, very risky pick. In trading Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook. Now, talking about big calls, that is as big as it gets. And also, that is, I would say, what costed Dal Murray his job. Them um, if you didn't know, Dal Murray, the general manager of the Houston Rockets, stepped down about, I think it was two days ago. I'm not sure. I just know he's stepping down. Well, look, you have had Chris Paul. You have had James Harden. You have had Russell Westbrook. It's kind of hard to not win a championship with that amount of talent. I know someone's going to bring up, oh, OKC didn't do it. The OKC trio of Kevin uh, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden. Again, James Harden and Russell Westbrook were developing stars. KD was just KD. Um, James Harden has become an MVP, so has Russell Westbrook. It was a lot of hype going into this. It was a double MVP team, fully small ball. Everyone was intrigued to see what this team could do. Even I was. I would have said I've never seen a team who's gone small ball like that. They even traded away their only reliable big man, Clint Capella, just to start P.J. Tucker at center, because P.J. Tucker can shoot um, more threes than Clint Capella. That's a very interesting trade again. P.J. Tucker, I would say, if you put P.J. Tucker on AD and Jokic, as in that's likely opponents, or, or or you put Clint Capella on those two of the same big men again, who would you rather have? PJ Tucker or Clint Capella? Of course you're going to have Clint Capella. At least it's not a mismatch from the start. You'd say, okay, Clint uh, Clint Capella got beat on the low post. Okay, fine, he will stop them at some point because he's not a bad center at all. If you're putting PJ Tucker on AD, that is already a natural mismatch. So I would say Dalmaris had his um, fair share of hits on trades. He's all had his fair share of misses on trades. The Houston Rockets, what really disappointed me is how they didn't even they weren't even close to being competitive with the Lakers. It was Russell Westbrook was I would say an average having an average series at best. James Harden was doing his thing. But again, if you look at as Colby said before he died, if you look at the Houston Rockets team, you can't rely on an Harden ISO ball every game throughout the playoffs. It's that just doesn't formulate to a championship. The major criticism of Mike Gentoni's system is he gives the ball so much to James Harden, they just won the threes. Alongside James Harden, you've essentially got Russell Westbrook and a bunch of role players who just grabs the board, passes the ball to Harden or Westbrook, take the kickouts if they ever have any, and shoot the threes and compete. It's not a formula for us. You don't have much players except James Harden and Russell Westbrook. Who can give you some pick-and-roll threat? Who can do something creative on the ball instead of just being purely off-ball? Because that's how orientated this Houston team is. It's just full of off-ball players, system players, catch-and-shoot corners, and nothing else, really. It's just a bunch of floor, um, floor spaces. Of course, I have massive respect for P.J. Tucker. He's held down that center spot. I would say as as well as I I think he could have done. Eric Borden. He's shot his fair share of threes. He's hit his fair share as well. But again, it's just the system. It's the issue of the system. It's not the issue of any of them. They they have been signed the contract to do what they're doing right now. It's just what standing in the corner, standing above the arc on the three point line. Um, So, yeah, I would say the Houston Rockets have been quite a big disappointment this year. And oh, a a quick thing I want to mention, it's the New Orleans Pelicans. I know they haven't made it to the playoffs. I know all the hype around Zion and everything. I wouldn't call them underachieving because Zion's been out for such a large proportion of the season. It's not saying they're underachieving. A core of Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, you've seen it before. It's happened to L.A. And I know they have both progressed as players, but you can't expect those two to take you to the playoffs. I mean, they were competing for the playoffs the whole way through the season. They even went into the bubble. They just didn't make it. I wouldn't call them underachieving. That's what most people are saying. It was supposed to be the Pelicans going for a seven or eight seed if they don't make it, fair enough, especially if Zions out up for most of the season. So, yeah, that's why I wouldn't put New Orleans into a underachieving spot. But there you go. And now we move on to the next segment of this episode. that's a brilliantly acrobatic save. Jack is So we're talking about some football now. Um, A main theme I want to talk about today, because we've just had an international break, and I don't want to just talk about club football like right now, is that England, the England national team. So they beat Belgium 2-1 in the Nations League and then lost to Denmark 1-0. A, a mixed international weekend, I have to say. But firstly... England's a national team where naturally they do very well at qualifiers and it's historically as well. Why I say naturally is because the English style of football does work very well throughout qualifiers when you're playing against weaker countries, countries with players who are less skilled than the ones you are playing. It just works very well. But when it gets to the international stage, when it gets to the big stage, when it gets to the World Cups, the Euros, where everyone's on a similar level, it just doesn't work as well. So, I mean, a quick thing is I want to talk about. So We all know the Euros are, are in about nine or ten months now. Uh, England, as I've said many times before, will do well in this Euros, but not as well as the World Cup. But naturally, as an English fan, I hate to admit it, I would say they are going to do well, but not as well as the World Cup. But I want them to do better than the World Cup, honestly. It's it's just second nature to England to choke when it comes to the big stage, but hopefully not this time. So I want to talk about the squad quickly because I've seen a lot of posts on Instagram just criticising Gareth Southgate. A lot of pundits on Sky Sports, BT Sports, saying that Gareth Southgate is not doing as well as he could, even though they led them to a World Cup fourth-place finish. Um. So I'm going to tell you my, my squad, as of today, the 10th, I mean the 17th of October. In goal, Jordan Pickford's been what Gareth Southgate's stuck to through his tenure. That's fine by me, but I believe Dean Henderson of Man United should get a run in, at least to see how well he does. Same with Nick Pope, two very good keepers, but Gareth Southgate seems to like pick a lot. I would give Dean Henderson a nod right now. A back four or back three both works for me. I will say a back four, because that allows England to push their main uh, players further up, their main attacking threats. Right back, it's kind of a lock. Trent, a Trent Alexander-Arnold, that name's got a mouthful, sorry. Um, uh, uh, Trent, he's very good at whipping in crosses he does it constantly for Liverpool he takes the set pieces nine times out of ten for Liverpool he is a proven free kick taker same, same with corners I would say if Trent is not starting, England's not as good by a, long, by a large margin again, Kieran Trippier will be my backup, he does the job same with Aaron Wan-Bissaka those two both do the job quite well, quite splendidly. And Gareth Southgate seemed to be playing into the Maitland-Niles once or twice in an England shirt. As an Arsenal fan, that's always nice to see. Centre-back. Now, this is where a lot of hate and criticisms coming. Harry Maguire. And I would personally put John Stones if he gets some playing time in Man City. If he doesn't, then Joe Gomez. Because Joe Gomez is getting more constant playing time in, at Liverpool. And he's playing us at one of the best in the world right now, Virgil van Dijk. He's learning so quickly. It's, at, it's worth starting him there. Because he will have the confidence to play there. As in, he's played along Virgil van Dijk for a long time. He, he's played alongside, alongside such a good defender. He ought to pick up something from Virgil van Dijk. Even though he's not been as good as last season. I'm sure he's picked up more than enough that he will be a solid centre-back for England at the Euros. So, yeah, Um, left-back, I really want to see Pakai Saka there. But realistically, really, is it going to happen? No. He's been superb for Arsenal, I would say. Or more than superb. He's exceeded expectations quite clearly when he's playing for Arsenal. Well, at least I would say for what the expectations were from him last year as an unknown talent. He's been brilliant. If it doesn't work, again, Kieran Trippier can play there. You've got a, a, a crap load of options for England at left-back and right-back. So it's totally fine by me that it might not be for Saka. So... Moving swiftly on into the midfield, this is where a lot of arguments come into place. Let's put two scenarios. First is where it's a three center mid um three center mid formation. So like a four through three, like a three five two that type. the three out star would be Henderson because he dictates the temple so well. For Liverpool, for England. I know he's had some criticism recently. If he doesn't pick up form, you've always got Declan Rice as well. That's also a very, very good backup. I wouldn't say many countries could put that out. And as the two number eights, or if you need even need a natural 10, you've got Jack Grealish, who I know Gareth Southgate. I think Gareth Southgate has an agenda against Jack Grealish, but I think he really should start for England. He's a great ball progressing number eight he dribbles very well. He handles pressure great. He also can make a killer pass. That's Jack Grealish, ladies and gentlemen, the number eight England needs, I think. But again, Mason Mount seems to be getting the nod, which I really don't see Mount starting over Grealish. Uh, there we go. Um, again, Cowan Phillips, it's another player i want to talk about he could run the six role in um for if henderson's not fit if there are injuries or if Gar just wants to rotate throughout the euros it's also fun to drop Calvin phillips in as a six even though we've got declan rice as a backup another eight i would say that's very good it's harry winks he's more of a six i know when you're playing a stronger team when you want two players to sit in front of the back line, it's always good to also have Harry Winks. But the main other number eight, or even a number 10 I want to talk about, it's James Madison. I mean, James Madison, he's played superbly for Leicester when he's had a chance to. I would say he is very good that he could squeeze Mason Mount off the team. But again, Southgate seems to be bringing Mason Mount all the time, so... I mean, yeah, I just don't really like the amount that Southgate plays Mason Mount, um, except Mason Mount. I've also got a very solid shout for number eight. Um, I know many people, would have, a lot of people would have forgotten about him by now, but surely Deli Ali, he has to go on the plane to the Euros, even though I know they're playing at home, but on the plane. Um, I mean another advantage for England is this, this quick sidetrack. They're playing at Wembley. It's basically a home food crowd if people are in at the time, if Corona gets better. But yeah. Um on the front line it picks itself. Raheem Sterling, Harry Kane, Jaden Sancho. Jaden Sancho has been superb for Dortmund recently. Harry Kane's just Harry Kane. He was the captain of the World Cup, it's impossible to drop him. Raheem Sterling, I know he's had a lot of criticism for missing big chances. He's also had moments where he looked like the old Raheem Sterling, where he just misses everything, can't make a pass, just dribbles horridly. There are also moments where you look at Raheem Sterling and think, wow, this is a billion pounds player. He is as good as Sancho, maybe. That's up for debate. So yeah, that will be my starting lineup. A lot of role players I'm gonna talk about now are the ones I think that should go, but I'm not sure Southgate will pick them. Firstly we've got Connor Cody, a great centre back. Oh he's he's been picked in the squad recently by guy Southgate, due to his superb, to say the least, performances for Wolves. Really like the guy. He scored a header on his debut um had a goal on his debut. That's Great for him. Shows he's got aerial prowess. He might be the centre back England needs when, when it's the eighty sixth minute and you've got a team throwing long balls into the box. England's just trying to defend a one goalie hanging on for their lives. You need a big centre back to marshal the that back line. That's Connor Cody. Um, Eric Dyer. You can play centre back, centre mid, even CDM. That's also a very good. He's for the England team. In case of any injuries happen, if Gareth Southgate wants to plug into a certain position, Eric Dijk can also work in, in, work in that position. But Klayosak and Easy maitland Niles as I've mentioned before. But again, I have a slight agenda for them because I'm an Arsenal fan. Marcus Rashford can play out wide, can play as a striker. He has been good for England. He scored against Belgium. He's been good for his club. He's been good for Man United, I would say. Not the Marcus Rashford, not the very, very good Marcus Rashford we used to know. Good enough to do the job, though, I would say. Up front, Dominic, Calvert-Lewin, and Danny Ings are both very solid backup options for Harry Kane, especially um, the fine form Calvert-Lewin's been in recently. The supplies got from James Rodriguez at Everton. He's taking his chances clinically. What more do you want except a target man up top where... Again, if you're trailing in the fringes of the game, I remember in 2016, England, when they crashed out against Iceland, it was just they were throwing the ball into the box and there are no one to aim at. Dominic Calvert-Lewin gives you the aerial presence in the box when you need it the most. When you're, when you're in desperate need of that just big man to knock it down and someone to have a whack at goal, it will be Calvert-Lewin. And then then there's Danny Ings, who is a natural poacher in the box, he's done very well at um, Southampton, scored a lot of goals, he was close to the uh, golden boot at one point, so yeah, definitely, definitely Danny Ings, Calvin Phillips, who I've mentioned before, Tyron Mings, who could play centre back, as he's done for England on multiple occasions now, could also play right back and left back, a very good rotational piece again, yeah, I would say this. the biggest issue of this England teams, who did they pick? If they could pick the right formation, if they could pick the right players against the right teams, then they would have a very good Euros tournament. I know I'm slightly st- stating the obvious here, but it's just not something England get right all the time. They don't pick the right players throughout the whole tournament. There are moments where their brain fades by the coach. That's why they didn't, Nash, uh, they didn't do very well before um 2018 World Cup. Yeah, um, I hopefully they would do well. Like, from the bottom of my heart, I really want England to do well. Especially now they've won a penalty shootout. It's not like they've got much in their way. Because before this, everyone was saying, if it goes to penalties, England, they're not going to win. But now they've won against Colombia, I think it was. So, yeah, Just the the mental barriers no longer there, telling them they cannot win a penalty shootout, it's quite clear they can. So, my predictions right now will be England, again, I want to I want to believe they can make it to the finals, but a third or a fourth place finish I would be happy with, I just want them to take the leap and make it to the finals. But again, for England, making it to the quarters or the semis or the Euros, it's still... An acceptable result because this crop of young players, the crop of Jaden Sancho, the crop of Joe Gomez, they've still got time. They've got to develop. It's the experience of playing the Euro that matters more than anything. So, yeah, this brings us to a close of the football segment. And this is the end of the first episode of the 2020-2021 season. I'll see you guys in the next episode coming the same time as this episode on the Saturday night. But again, remember, there will be a special episode releasing tomorrow, Hong Kong time, about 12 on the Arsenal Man City game, which is coming right after this episode.